Welcome to the Association Corner, a podcast series focusing on insights and trends for association professionals by association professionals. Hello, everyone. Today, we will learn about Katrina Holland's journey to becoming CEO of American College of Nurse Midwives her challenges, and most importantly, how we can inspire young professionals in the industry to follow in her same footsteps. So joining me today is the one and only Katrina Holland, CEO of ACNM. Katrina has more than 20 years experience driving business growth and marketing results for professional associations. She served 15 of those years in senior leadership roles across an array of sectors, including tax, healthcare, and law. And Multiview initially met her when she was with the National Association of Enrolled Agents, and we have been so lucky to continue our working relationship with her. So welcome, Katrina, to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. And we want to jump right in um, and thanking you for your time. But as you have landed here in this role, what really inspired you to be a CEO? You know, it's it's funny you you ask that. I mean, you know, when I think about this question, I think about me as really almost a kindergartner and thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up and how I saw myself in the world. And I always kind of saw myself um, leading a vision uh, for something bigger than who I was. And I think it probably presented itself as a little bit of bossiness for a little girl. And, um, and as I kind of moved through my uh, different careers, um, I realized that I wanted to get to a point where I was really impacting change on a bigger scale. And in order to do that, um, I needed to kind of move up through the ranks and um, eventually be leading something that was bigger than just a project, you know, bigger than a program and something that would, you know, essentially contribute to the world in a way that was bigger than what you could do on a day-to-day basis. So have you always um, wanted to be at that sea level or was it just a way to accomplish that goal that you just mentioned? I think it was just a way to accomplish the goal that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw it, although when I started to um, work into the, you know, in the association world, which is something I fell into, mm-hmm. um, I, I immediately wanted to start to learn different parts of the business from membership to marketing to education and governance and all the things that go into association work um, so that I could be better at what I was doing, which was membership development. Mm -hmm. And, um, And in doing that, I realized that associations happen to be representative of a lot of cool things in the world, including professional organizations, including medical societies including, you know, different industries. And so, you know, it became a part of the thing that I aspired to be before I even knew what associations Mm -hmm. were. And so I realized that in order for me to start impacting change in the way that I'd always envisioned, the C-suite was where I ought to be. And I think outside of Washington, D.C. and perhaps Chicago, a lot of people don't understand the true function of an association and and how powerful they can be. I I love that you were with National Association of Enrolled Agents, but then you shifted into a medical association. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And so I um, I actually call it 
going back home to healthcare. Um, when I started my career, I, I initially began working at a large international law firm in Chicago as a paralegal, intending to be a trial lawyer. And after, you know, the requisite two to three years working as a paralegal, I made the decision not to go into law, but then had a friend who was working at an association of trial lawyers who introduced me to the then executive director. And I was hired um, as um, a, a membership manager at that point. Mm-hmm. How and fascinating, though, that here that, you were tracking one way and probably God had a plan for you. <laughs> you had to go another way. You know, this is really totally what you were meant to be. That's exactly right. Pushed me in a totally different direction. And um, and then I started to learn what an association was. And from that job, I actually went to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, I saw that, yeah. Uh, at a major medical specialty when I began to understand that, um, and this is in Chicago, um, another major market for associations, um, where um, that medical specialty was less well-known, but diverse. And we were at a moment in time when associations could really provide value to to physicians because it was during healthcare reform. Mm-hmm. And so I really start it started to crystallize in my mind um, the value of what, that associations could provide and the impact that they could have potentially on healthcare and the the quality of care that patients receive. And so when I had the opportunity at from NAEA to go back into healthcare, um, it's something that I really wanted to pursue. And so, um, again, it's, it was a timing thing. The American College of Nurse Midwives was looking for a CEO, and it turned out I was ready to take that next step. Mm-hmm. And, um, and here I am one year later. And it's amazing to see, you know, you do have the credentials to run a medical association based upon your previous ones that you worked for. Um, did you find that you needed additional education to complete, um, you know, the journey? You know, what I found was that, at least in my case, a lot of the things that I learned along the way with um, association management really came to bear in this position. Um, I gained some diverse experience across the different um areas within association management, which I, um, which I mentioned before. Um, but one of the things that I had to learn in all my transitions was that every time you go to a new association or organization, you have to learn the business of that profession, and that never changes. Mm-hmm. And so I was familiar with healthcare enough to know that I'd need to learn a total different set of acronyms with midwifery. Um, you know, learn some of the different political nuances, um, you know, from an advocacy perspective. And, um, and so, so that part of the job was something that I was familiar with because I haven't really stayed in one profession consistently throughout my career. And so I really just leaned into the expertise, my, my expertise in association management to carry me through knowing that whatever profession I landed in, I could learn that language too. I was going to ask you that, you know, just having your foot in all those different, you know, places, you really did prepare yourself to lead an organization because you've already done the jobs at the other 
other organizations that you worked at, did you find that you had, um, I guess the question should be, what would the, be the biggest challenge that you had when you came on board a year ago? Oh, well, that's easy. The biggest challenge coming on board a year ago <laughs> was just getting to know the staff. Of course, during COVID. <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> a pandemic is never helpful. Right. And, and you know, and, and people have said this before, it's getting to know people outside of the little, you know, virtual box that you see on, on a screen and understanding who they are, what motivates them, what makes them successful, how they interact with people and how they're able to motivate their teams and move and move them forward. And certainly joining an organization that is interested in growth and in change, you really have to have a team and, and, and leaders within the team who, who bring that unique skill set to bear, right? You have to have folks who um, can motivate other people. To support the mission too. To support uh, the Because mission. a lot of people do a lot of association jumping um, and, and, and it's good. It's very good to have a clear objective point of view when you're coming into a project or perhaps you've been tasked with making changes. Um, how do you feel the support has been of, I guess, other members or current members or your peers? Have you been able to rely on them a little bit more to help you? I've relied on a couple of things. One, I have relied heavily on my peer network. Um, I heard when I started to look at moving into the C-suite, I, I would attend, um, you know, the C-suite track at the ASAE annual meeting and try and get to know all the things that, that the C-level execs are talking about. And one of the main things that I um, took away was that the cheese stands alone and you really need to have a deep bench of people that you can go to as a resource outside of your organization. And so um, that's when you really start to look um, out into your network to remember all the people who you've met along the way, along your whole career path and journey, and some of the CEOs who you really want to call on for advice and expertise. Um, and so I have, I have a bench of people who I call on, you know, we've got a little group chat <laughs> that we text each other and, and we, we ask each other questions. And that really has been very helpful because you know that you're not alone. And, and so much of this is uncharted waters and, and so much of this is just relying on your own judgment and your own instincts um, that you really do need to have that, that sounding board of people who are going through the same things that you are. I have the same network and I have personally found that it has carried me good times and bad. And just being able to fall back on that support really does make you a better leader. Uh, you know, they call it crowdsourcing, but, you know, really just asking, you know, bouncing some ideas off your friends, your, you know, your peers, your coworkers. Um, it really does help uh, give you some perspective on the topic at hand. And I had a, a quick question before we, we shift into some other questions. Uh, what do you do very well at your organization currently? Brag a little for us. All right. This is like hard for me. I don't like to brag. Um, <laughs> no one likes this question. <laughs> um, I think what I do really well is um, I am, I think my talent is that I um, have a very clear vision for what the organization and the profession can do. And um, I think that I'm able to align that vision with the right staff and skills 
and volunteer expertise um, to make it happen. And, um, and, and it's funny because it's something that I kind of assume other people have or most people have. And, and that's not necessarily always the case. And sometimes it shows up during strategic planning conversations and, you know, um, and I start to articulate something and, and then I realize that I'm the only one who sees it a certain way. And so what I've come to understand that is that it's okay if you're the only one that sees things a certain way. Um, that's why that, you're there. That's <laughs> why I'm here. Yes. And, and so I think that's something that um, I have come to understand more about myself and to lean into more confidently mm-hmm. um, and to trust my instincts more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that could not be a better skill set for a CEO because that's really what everyone looks towards. You know, everyone's looking to someone to steer the ship into the future and see the bigger picture. Um, so on the flip side, what is one or two things right now about this role that uh, you didn't know before um, and, and that you're learning about? For me, um, I think that, you know, you always know that you have a staff team, but having had a staff team of my own prior to being a CEO, I always saw them as my team only. But now everybody's my team, right? And so I feel almost- No more departments. No this, more department. This, the whole thing. <laughs> everybody's my team. And I feel responsible for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's not something, I mean, that's something that, you know, you, you get used to, but it also carries a lot of, um, well, certainly a lot of responsibility, but it carries a lot of weight. Certainly now that we're not just talking about professional responsibilities, but so many of us have our own personal battles either with COVID and healthcare or work-life balance. It's been a rough year. It's been a really rough year. And so, um, you know, as, as the CEO, and if you, you care about your team and you care about advancing a mission, but you care about these people, you really do, um, you take a lot of that home with you and you, and you carry a lot of that. Is and, that guiding the decisions on what programs to keep, what dis- revenues to look at, um, not that you would make staff changes, but, you know, there's always the shifting right now that's that's going on. It's, it's the shifting. You have to think about, you know, if we are going to grow next year, w- what are going to be our priorities mm-hmm. in terms of programs, in terms of revenue? You know, what's going to be our balance of dues versus non-dues revenue? And what is reasonable for me to expect of my team in 2022? Mm-hmm. You know, and how do you balance that reason with a mission and a profession that really needs to grow um, because we have a maternal health crisis also? And so layer, layer that into it, because I think that's an important mission of your organization in general. Um, that's a crisis that existed prior to the pandemic. And um, of course, now I believe that it's worsened because of economic factors out there. And, um, you know, being a mother myself, I can absolutely understand um, what needs to go into child care and prenatal care and, and um, having the best, um, having choice and how you handle all of that, which is very, very important, I think. Um, so I can appreciate that. Um, so big decisions on you. Are there, you know, 
right now, you know, they're talking a little bit about the great resignation and they're talking about how everyone's kind of looking at their lives again and thinking, okay, I need to do something different. (laughs) And I think that's the pandemic that brought us up everyone. Maybe someone got a Peloton or maybe, you know, maybe you've put on weight, maybe you've lost weight. Um, But career wise, we are seeing this. People are changing. Is that affecting you all right now? Absolutely. It absolutely is. And, and I, I will tell you that um, the thing that I lean back into is the maternal health crisis, because when we're hiring folks, we have to know that they are committed and passionate about our mission and helping us solve the issue, because there's certain things that we have to put in place that are um, critical. And, and most Absolutely. of them are because lives depend on it. And so there's this marrying of passion and purpose and talent that we, that I'm looking for for staff folks, because it's that passion that is going to keep them engaged when times get tough. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that passion that's going to keep them engaged and not start to consider, you know, whether this is, this is really a fit for them personally and professionally. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate to come into this role and have all those things happen for me. So it doesn't feel like work. It feels like I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm for the right mm-hmm. people at the right time. Oh, that's such a good answer. I love that. I love that. And it's a good, uh, it's a good mission in general, you know, um, and I'm glad that we had this opportunity to talk to you. Um, and for those listening, um, are, do you plan to hire outside of your general area? This seems to be a question that we ask a lot and we've talked a lot about. Are you open to remote workers to get that talent, to get those people with the mission? Absolutely. You know, I think that um, we would be remiss in not considering those options. And and that is, um, you know, if I think about two, three years ago, an exact 180 from the mindset of most folks. But um, we're looking for the right fit for the organization, wherever he or she is. And that's good to know. So for all those listening, <laughs> contact Katrina. Um, so so for the younger folks that are out there, um, you talked a little bit about the one thing you do really well. And I always think I have a good work ethic. I always think I like to show up, post, you know, as they say, just just post, you know, get just do your job, do it well. Do you think with the millennials and now the Gen Z's coming in, are you seeing a different type of worker, not necessarily wrong, but a different type of worker that's coming through? I, you know, and I think about my, my daughter who she's a teenager now, but man, you know, <laughs> she's going to be one of these folks that feels as though she can do whatever she wants, whenever she wants it. And, and, and should be able to fit all of her personal in with her professional in a, in a happy part. Very intertwined. Yes. I have two teenagers myself, so I, it's all blended. <laughs> it's all blended. It's one thing. And, um, and, you know, I learn a lot from her. And then I also have a tween who is teaching me so much about um, equity and inclusion and in a way that I never learned as, as a child, but using terms that I never learned or even understood and correcting me. And so I think when you bring that to bear in our culture with all the evolution that we're making around those topics, 
that. I mean, it's it, truly a beautiful thing, you know, just to hear them talk. They, they, they do talk differently. They do have a different language. And I also get corrected and I like it because it, it puts me in line, you know. Uh, but so, so you're feeling that um, the offering of the younger generation is just they're a little more worldly. You know, they, they grew up, I think, with the Internet and they grew up with um, all the social media. So they just know they're a little smarter than us in different ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, they're, they're much more exposed. Um, and in some ways it's good in some ways it's bad because then you have to come back in and kind of course correct and put things in perspective, but they're exposed and have a wisdom about them that I think took years uh, for me to acquire, but because there's so much information out there that they have access to, they're able to really get that information quickly and digest it. Um, and then it's up to us as parents and as, you know, um, bosses, work, bosses <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be able to filter out what is and what isn't yeah. and, and how you can make the best use of, of talent and energy. I, I agree. And um, as they're growing up, we're we're seeing that they are evolving, too. And so when you see a millennial and they're 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 getting in the older side of that and they're starting to think about their own leadership style. And they're starting to look at maybe I could be that that C-level. I could be that CEO. What advice would you give that young professional today to get to that point? This, I love this question. <laughs> I have been reflecting on it. The advice that I would give them is to think about what you want to do and then envision the next step that you need to take to make it happen one step at a time, because it can be overwhelming. If you think about, you know, your big dream and how, how are you ever going to get there? You just think about that next step. What do I have to do tomorrow to get to where I want to be? Mm-hmm. And, and then also to um, do not give up and don't be discouraged by whatever circumstance you find yourself in. You know, we are hired into jobs and, and transition happens and some environments are difficult to work in and some environments are wonderful to work in, but you're in the environment that you're in. So you take the good and you extract the bad and you move on to the next one and just know that you're placed there um, for yourself and to keep your, to keep your life on, on purpose. Martin Luther King said, you don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. And that's one of my favorites. So I'm glad you said that. And again, for those listening, uh, you know, it gets very, it, it is overwhelming, especially right now. And for not sure where to go, you know, just taking that first step takes so much courage. Um, and so that's fantastic advice. Um, so we're going to start wrapping up in a minute, but I, I have a question that I like to ask all my CEOs. <laughs> and just like our American presidents, you are now part of this elite club of leaders. How is being ACNM CEO changed you? Well, um, I think that um, being in this position has really helped me understand what a privilege it is to speak on behalf of a profession um, that is less well known and understood, though it's been around for thousands of years. And um, it's, it's, it's quite humbling, but I think it's changed me in a way to help me understand that um, 
that a regular, some would say, you know, average person can be impactful um, doing a job um, that can change the world in ways that you wouldn't even realize. Um, and um, I think that when you start to talk about things like maternal health, um, it gets people's attention. Um, people who you wouldn't expect to have attention in DC and Hollywood, and all of a sudden you're a part of a movement that's bigger than who you are. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's something that really can be very awesome. And that's such a nice, humble response and very well said. So thank you for that. And Katrina, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time today and your story. And um, we are excited to see where you go and, and the great things that you will accomplish. This is just the first couple steps of your staircase <laughs> in your leadership journey. And I hope that everyone will continue listening with us and our other leaders as we start our series on um, CEOs. But thank you again, Katrina. And any parting words for our audience? Um, you know, I my only parting words would say would be to say that um, don't ever let anybody else define what your future is. Define it for yourself. Thank you, Katrina. And thank you everyone for listening.